Hi, my name is Judith, also known as Jay. And I'm Elizabeth, but you can call me Bleggy. And we are The Fit, the podcast where we talk about developments in fashion tech and innovation in retail. Now Jay and I are looking at taking the fashion world by storm and solving some of e-commerce's big problems. We also take you on our journey as we build eFitter, a tech company focused on personalising the shopping experience for the modern woman. To keep up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe to The Fit Podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would also like to keep you posted on all things eFitter, so do follow us on socials at eFitter app and join the conversation using the hashtag TheFitPod. This is our 60 second roundup where we try to summarise what is going on in the world of fashion and tech in 60 seconds. ASOS have launched an augmented reality tool that lets customers see how different outfits will look on their body type. They've always been really keen to try out new tech to enhance the customer experience. For instance, back in 2018, they launched Fit Assistant, which uses AI to predict customer sizes. And for the latest in Brexit news, we have finally officially left the EU. <laughs> Yay! Well, And the fashion industry is not for it at all. 90% of designers voted to remain, and the consensus is the price of your fave pair of jeans will probably go up as a dip in EU staff and designers is expected. The EU is by far the biggest market that the UK fashion industry works with, so time will tell how Brexit impacts exports. Back in November, Jumia, the biggest e-commerce company in Africa, suddenly closed down shop in Cameroon. Jumia is the first African tech company to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange, but it's been on the rocks having made a total of a billion dollars in losses since launching in 2012. Madness. Rumour has it, they may be looking at shutting down other territories as well to cut down on costs. On time. Ooh, <laughs> <you> made it. <laughs> that $1 billion figure is scary though. Yeah. Very scary for those that are to come to follow after this African unicorn status. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see how investors respond to that and also how easy it is for people to penetrate in the African market and e-commerce. And that is what we're going to be chatting about today. Today in the studio, we have with us Ayo from Jendea, the CEO and founder. Um, Jendea is a marketplace bringing luxury e-commerce to continental Africans. We've heard that Jumia's in a bit of a mess, so they're closing down shop in Cameroon, which is a big deal. So for background, Jumia is, uh, they centred themselves as an African-based marketplace and they were listed on the New York Stock Exchange this year and they were positioned as the first African unicorn. So a unicorn meaning a company worth over a billion pounds. So I guess the first question is, where is it all going wrong? How on earth did we end up here? So just to clarify for people, yes, uh, um, Jumia is meant to be um, Africa's Amazon or eBay. So just to, if people didn't, yeah. yeah, weren't aware of that. It's something that, um, well, myself and Jay have spoken about a lot. A lot. Very hmm. heated discussions about it. And it's mm. mostly been about their positioning as an African company. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 have, I have questions. Mm. I have yeah, a lot yeah. of questions mm. because it's very, very specific mm-hmm. as in African unicorn or African Amazon to say that and not actually be African. It's very questionable. Yeah. First of all, headquarters are in Dubai. Yeah. Tech team is in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Listed on the New York Stock mm-hmm. Exchange. He, um, tax, I think they pay in Germany. Mm-hmm. So at what point do we say it's African? African Not yeah. to mention yeah. their founders are French. 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 Yes. Well, the CEO is French. Yeah. Their co-founders Go- were actually Ghanaian and Nigerian, but yeah. more they that later on. Yeah. Um, so I, on that point, I, I, I'm not even sure as to how true that co-founder story of them being ah. Ghanaian and Nigerian are because on the internet you you mm. see the story as mm. listed as um you know co-founder one of them being three of them being two of them in Ghanaian one of them being Nigerian but for example when they did list one of the those 
black men yeah. he wasn't in the he wasn't in the you know when they mm. ring the bell he used to, his post was outside of the new york stock exchange in the background with the junior you know when they put up the branding across the stock yeah. uh, across um, nasdaq mm-hmm. and um it was him standing outside saying oh i remember building this company blah 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 so he wasn't actually involved on that day when it when they when they listed okay. so for me in my mind i also bought into that story that mm. you know they had african co-founders actually from inception because the story has been jumia mm-hmm. has been an african company but as things come more and more to light uh, my kind of like take on it is that that was all pr propaganda i don't think they were actually the co-founders i think that was concocted later on to um help people buy into their idea idea that it was truly african because every other thing points to the fact that it's really not an African company. Yeah, so but I, yeah. I mean, if it is a PR exercise, it's a pretty crappy one, to be honest, mm. because well, most well, people don't e- aren't even aware of mm, these co-founders. Well, true. So yeah, as far as they are aware, if the CEO is I French, had to dig. You know, we had, had to, to do oh, some digging. Really? We were trying to figure out yeah. what happened to these, to these co-founders, because like you said, there's mm. no real reference yeah. to them. They're no. kind of like, they don't even the mention planet. it. Yeah. And what, mm. Sorry, what they say, actually, there was an interview with Sasha, I think mm. he's one of the founders mm. or CEO, mm. and he was like, oh, yeah, we have some people that were with us from the beginning, mm. and now they've left, so they are Jumia alumni, mm. and they've made their own businesses. And I was thinking, what does he think this is? Like, this is insane. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah that's interesting because I think it, it's, I think it's two different, like, sort of lenses because for me i think maybe trying to run a startup that is specifically for continental africa trying to look for parallels and people who've done it before us because jumia was that standard or i say yeah i would say was not is that standard because they were the you know amazon of africa and they were seemingly doing well i mean there's a few but when you do your market research for me uh, that's what I found immediately. I found that, okay, they, these were three african or was it four three african guys who built this and so i think when you look at it from just maybe a general business lens, it's really covered and you're like, okay, this just like, this not an African business. But for me, when I was researching Jumia, I kind of saw that really easily from the beginning. I was like, okay, they're African guys. And then I found out mm, that, okay. oh, actually, this isn't the actual case. This isn't, this is more like a PR concocted thing. But mm. those guys have gone on to make their own businesses. Yeah. Um, whether they've been successful or not, I'm not sure. Um, I don't remember if they've raised any any money, but mm. they are they they do have both of them. At least two of them have startups they're running in specifically okay. from Nigeria. You mentioned actually looking at Jumia as like the blueprint, I mm. guess, mm. as being the Amazon of Africa. How did that, or how does that? I guess in hindsight now, mm. because obviously mm. now they're a bit of a mess. Mm. How did that affect how you were going to market, or I guess propose the idea of Jendaya to yeah. continental Africans? Yeah. I think the first thing, the first thing that kind of like was positive to us um, when we initially found out about them was that, oh my God, e-commerce in Africa does work because we think e-commerce in Africa is like a myth. It doesn't exist. But when you hear of Jumia, of course, there's other e-commerce players. But when you hear of Jumia, that's a big standard, the staple. You're like, oh my God, we can do this. So having having that kind of lens and now everything is unfolding, it's more like have we underestimated the beast that is e-commerce in Africa? Because not only 
is are they being uncovered in kind of like the kind of marketing the pr of it like who are the founders and is it really african one but it's apparently starting to uncover in the logistics and how actually successful they are they've never actually disclosed their actual turnover and revenue how could they get so far as the ipoing if all of that was concocted which then goes back to the fact that yeah you're not really african because only non non-blacks can, can get, get away with that, with that. this is the so for us it's still all in theory but in theory in good faith that it works because jumia can do it what's interesting about the Jumia situation is that the first place or well, the first place to really blow up is Cameroon mm. and they launched Nigeria an English speaking market yeah. they speak well obviously hundreds of languages across mm. Africa but in terms of the colonial languages you've got English you've got French mm. you've got some places that speak German you've got Portuguese mm. and part of what they suggested was a problem with Cameroon was in terms of logistics, language barrier, mm. cultural differences. Mm. Because um, I was telling Jay a story yesterday about how um, whenever I go to Ghana, so I'm from a place in Ghana that's kind of on the border of Togo. Mm. And I was chilling with my cousin one day and we're like, I'm bored, I'm hungry, let's go get some food in Togo. So we mm. drove to Togo. Wow. And, <laughs> no, right? and it was just crazy wow. because it's right next yeah. door. It was maybe a 45 minute to an hour mm. drive. And culturally it was mm. so different. I mean, obviously, you go from seeing signs in English to seeing signs in French, mm. first and foremost, but it's just so, so different. So I guess that's a major challenge mm. in terms of doing a business that encompasses all of Africa. Mm. What is it that you're trying mm. to achieve mm -hmm. and what is the vision for the brand? Um, so Jindea is a luxury e-commerce platform for continental Africa. We're saying we're, we want to be that number one go-to, a viable option for that, that person to go on the internet as easy as you go on Netaport or Farfetch, search for luxury items. We want people in Africa to see Jindea as a viable option because right now, um, I would say in terms of the demographics we've profiled, um, the ones on the upper end, they just, when they want to buy luxury, they think, okay, let me either save it for when I'm going to New York or going to London or ask my family friends there to, to buy it for me and send it to my house in London, in New York or wherever. For everyone else, the aspirational buyers, it's, it is about access. So that's an easier fit. So it's a luxury platform where we're going to have Western and African luxury brands on the same platform. We're onboarding these brands in waves. Um, so we're starting first with about four African brands and then one boutique. In terms of our um, Western inventory, we're partnering with boutiques in London, Paris, France, Italy. Um, and then for our African inventory, we're just going partnering directly with the brands from the continent. So out brands out of Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, um, Ivory Coast, etc. So that's that's Yindea. Thinking about Jumia and where they went wrong mm. was particularly the logistics. Mm. And I think one of the main things that I saw was like options for cash on delivery mm. or even just delivery full stop. Mm. Many parts of Africa do not have addresses. Mm. They don't have, you know, it's very hard to navigate. Yeah. Okay, the consumers here, mm. consumers there. And then you know, the whole issue with the fraud mm. with Jumia was, mm. okay, cash on delivery, mm. drivers go, mm. they could just mm. keep the money, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously yeah, I yeah. doubt that you would follow the same mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. benchmark yeah, in terms yeah. of cash on delivery because mm. it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but how do you think yeah. logistics would be a bit, not, I don't want to say a barrier because mm. it's not going to be a barrier mm. for mm. you, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully. <laughs> but how would you, mm. uh, how do you see yourself navigating, navigating that? Africa? Okay, yeah. perfect. And that's a good, that I like that. How do we see us navigating Africa? So we liked what Jumia did. So they started first in Nigeria and then I think they went into Kenya. And then I forget the third country they went into. In Jindea as well, we took that and we have taken that and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're starting in Nigeria first with our pilot this year. So when we hope to launch fully, we will just start in Nigeria, Ghana and Kenya and then go into Angola and South Africa. But now in terms of operations um, and logistics, obviously when you're doing luxury, you can't pay on delivery. 
like we're not doing that the yeah. risk is too high um, and it just wouldn't work for mm. our kind of like cash flow and like you mm. know um, especially if you're doing a drop shipping model where you know your customers have trusted you with this thousand pound jumper and they're not going to get that money and we're not going to get that money to be able to fulfill the operations and they're not going to get that money until you know somebody's got it and then they might wear it and return it which is another problem mm. in retail and e-commerce yeah. like that's not going to work. So we're not mm. doing that with luxury. Um, and also, um, in terms of, that's why I said earlier that maybe we might have underestimated how much of a beast it, it the logistics is in Africa until the, you know, dream is starting unraveling because simply and really and truly, all we're doing is partnering with DHL to make our deliveries. And why? Mm. DHL are the only multinational delivery company or operations company who have invested millions, maybe even billions into delivering into Africa. So if okay. you want to do business in Africa, DHL will tell you, this is their promise. Mm. Obviously, we're yet to um, test it out. But what, as from what you can see in the market, we believe them. DHL will tell you that they can deliver to anywhere in Africa, whether it's mm -hmm. the northernest part of Nigeria, the southernest part of, of Ivory Coast, the westernest part of Togo, they say anywhere in Africa they can deliver to because they've made that investment in okay. in Africa. So they haven't obviously given everyone postcodes, but the technology they use and mm. the means they use to get in and out of these countries and the amount of years they've spent um, delivering in Africa, they they're miles ahead above miles uh, um, beyond the rest. So it's not UPS, it's not FedEx, it's not if you want to deliver and do business in Africa, it's DHL. So one. Um, our dropshipping partner career of choice is DHL one and then secondly we've also recently kind of like been partnering with startups that help um, delivering uh, Africa be, be more efficient and accurate so there's this startup called what three words which yeah. our development yeah. consultant <laughs> recently put me onto mm. and um we've actually already installed that plugin onto our store. Oh, so already DHL have given us the promise that we don't have to worry anywhere in Africa they can deliver to, but we've also now signed up to what free words. We've got that plugin on our store. So what we're going to do is a co-marketing campaign to make sure our customers get their unique three words. And so if they like at the checkout, they can input that in the field for what three words okay. to help the, our DHL careers, mm. you know, just even be more accurate, even though they already said they've got it, they've got Africa. So... So as you can now probably see, all right, you're like, what's the what's the big difference in delivering in Africa? But things like Jumia make you think, right, if everyone's saying the numbers are skewed, the numbers were fake, the numbers were wrong, but yet you've been able to IPO, yeah, there's a different kind of worms in, in, in being able mm. to IPO with all that being yeah. wrong. But the fact is all of the numbers apparently are wrong. So what is the problem then? So now even though for us it's like, yeah, we figured out how we're, at least for this pilot, we figured out how we're going to, make the operations work but is there more to it mm. so i guess we'll find out when yeah. we turn on the e-commerce store yeah cool yeah. so it seems like you've really thought this through in mm. terms of overcoming the main objectives and thinking about how to bridge the cultural nuances mm. and even the big issue of not having addresses so mm. you've been working on jindaya since what 2017 so, so that's a long time to work through yeah. it so what would you say have been the key lessons that you've learned on this journey so far i think the biggest lesson i've actually learned is to really just cut out the noise and do what you need to do. Six months ago, I was having the biggest headaches about um, when really and truly I just stripped out all the noise and I was like, this is really simple. This is just the way we need to do it. Mm. And this is who I just need to speak to. But back then, I was, it was the biggest problem in, in my mind, like, like an operational issue or payments issue. And it's just like, this is really simple. Um, so I would say just yeah make things really simple strip out the noise i mean you've alluded to this so mm. talking about changes in teams mm -hmm. so um personally in the past i ran a fashion business um from ghana mm. and it was a solo endeavor 
would not recommend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. As much as I say strip out the noise, having a team is also yeah. important. Yeah. I, I would do see the benefit in that. Yeah. And now Jay and I are looking at taking the fashion world by storm and solving yes. some of e-commerce's big problems as well. So in that, I'm very confident that we have a solid yeah. team to start mm-hmm. Definitely. with. In terms of getting the team that works for you in Judea, like what have been some of the challenges? Um, mm. So you've spoken about how you've had some changes. Mm. Why have they come about? And what is it that you are looking for in terms of people on the Judea team? We alluded to yeah this before when we were speaking mm. earlier. But I think when somebody's uh, kind of vision and passion isn't aligned, um, it does come undone eventually. So when push comes to shove, if your if your kind of vision, if your passions are not aligned, if the passion's really not genuine and not there, it'll fall apart, and you'll be like, well, I'm not getting paid for this because as a startup, you you usually don't get paid mm-hmm. early on. So for you, you you just be like, push comes to shove, you're like, I'm out, and that's fair enough. I I, I do kind of get that, but in terms of what I'm looking for. I'm really looking for someone who understands Africa and understands mm. fashion. Sometimes it's either or. So people on our team kind of understand fashion very well and luxury fashion and e-commerce so well. Or they understand both. They understand Africa, how Africa works, and they understand fashion and e-commerce. So they've been able to really help me, you know, bring some clarity to what we're doing and, and move us ahead. As a founder or as someone who's trying to build something, mm-hmm. I know... How- I can imagine actually how taxing it can be in terms of just mentally envisioning where you see your brand, where you see your business, where you see yourself um, in years to come. So my question to you is, do you have, I I think as founders it's very hard to to like pinpoint one person, but do you have someone or uh, I guess a business that is Jenday's inspiration or your personal inspiration for not particularly for doing this, mm. but mm. just in general, because mm. running a business is not an easy yeah, feat. it's not. Um, so who would you say or what yeah. would you say inspires I, I've you? Always, I've always, I guess, I don't know if this is like uh, symptomatic of like people who probably is of people who uh, run startups or try and do, but I believe we're all dreamers. We have big dreams and visions. So for as long as I can remember, I've always envisioned myself um, as a specific type of person wearing a specific type of suit, <laughs> carrying a specific <laughs> type of briefcase. And that's come through like, you know, through just wanting like, I guess, success. And before that used to be as an investment banker, but now I envision myself like that, but through Jindeo. So as a dreamer, I've always looked at people like, oh my gosh, I want to be like that person and that mm. person's it. So I've always had people in mind. So I yeah. like this question because I like get to like put it out there in the universe <laughs> and hopefully I get to meet them. So in terms of businesses, of course, Farfetch. So by... um. Jose Neves, the CEO, Jose Neves, his business has been real inspiration to myself. Obviously, we're using the Farfetch model. Um, So Farfetch is just a dream, you know, uh, company. And obviously, they listed last year um, for five billion um, on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's amazing. And Jose Neves himself um, has been an inspiration, I guess, loosely, basically, because his company is a company that I wish mine to be like. Mm Because I've obviously always always had like an interest in, in fashion and luxury, I would say Ralph Lauren is one of my biggest like inspirations. Just the way he, I mean, he didn't come from money, but he's created a whole lifestyle that mm-hmm. that kind of you know uh, symbolizes kind of like the finer things in life. And I, um, for me, Gatsby and you know, I just 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 love the whole like kind of vision and how he's made it. You know, his whole journey. I actually recently watched 
the um, the latest uh, documentary, Very Ralph, which is very great, which was very great. Um, <laughs> so Ralph Lauren, I would say, and then more recently, Jerry Lorenzo. So he's uh, the founder and creative director of Fear of God. It's a, like a luxe streetwear brand. Okay. Um, and um, what I like about Jerry, he's actually come from the class of the Kanye West class. So Heron Preston, um, Virgil Abloh, Samuel Ross. What I always admire about him, he always brings God into everything that he talks about. You know, the, the, his brand is called Fear of God. Yeah, one of the r recent interviews I watched, he said, um, one of the things about him, he, he brings God into places where others probably won't. So he always speaks mm. about everything being for the glory of God. So I, I, I like, yeah, you know, I, I like that. that. I love the whole, I love the authenticity um, side of things because I feel like the one thing that all of the founders have in common is that they're very true to themselves yeah. and true to their backgrounds and true to, especially in the case of Jerry Lorenzo, their mm. faith, which is something that I think is important mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. if there is something that is important to you as an individual, though your brand is a separate entity, mm -hmm. your personality does come into that. Yeah. And especially in your case, you're seeing that you're buying into more than just the brand, you're mm -hmm. buying into the background mm -hmm. of it. We've spoken a lot about um, the intersection between fashion and tech, but also tech making doing business in Africa a lot mm. easier. So let's talk about the future of that relationship between mm -hmm. fashion and tech. So yeah. we're seeing an increase in finance products mm -hmm. um, infiltrating the fashion world. So you've got Klarna, the pay later service that is all over fast fashion, highly controversial for possibly mm -hmm. obvious reasons, you know, yeah. 18 year olds taking out credit, yeah. okay. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've also got um, up and coming brands like Kashmir, which is mm. really interesting where you are effectively you're saving for a specific designer piece, which mm. is something that I love because it's responsible, but also really? aspirational. Yeah. So just from your perspective, where do you see the future of luxury retail and fashion going in terms of the advances that have been made in the tech mm. world? I think that everything we're seeing currently is just a reflection of what's like important in our general everyday lives just reflected on fashion. So we're seeing a lot of these finance, fintech, fashion startups, and that's because money management and, you know, having money and, you know, it, it's just a very topical thing right now for, for all of us, I guess, not just in the UK, but in the US. As, as a good founder, as a good startup, you should be really speaking to what those current issues are in, in the market and what, what are currently, what is currently kind of affecting people generally. So I think, um, startups like Kashmir are doing a, an amazing job. Companies like Kashmir are just doing, responding to what what the need is in the market, which is that people are finding it hard to save, but people still want luxury. So why don't I just like incorporate those two angles together? And as you said, it makes people financially responsible, but also aspirational. In terms of, I think where we're going, um, I, I don't actually, you know what, I think I think um, the kind of like disruptors in fashion and what's to come is gonna literally be a reflection of the of the the topic at the time or the current need, which every startup should be. But I think one thing that's gonna be the underlying of whatever that disruption is or whatever that innovation is is that ability to allow people to dream and aspire. Kashmir does that. I think Jindaya is gonna do that. The bottom line is. Um, that aspirational dreaming element. So something I really like that the founder of um, 
Rent the Runway said is that it allows people to have the wardrobe in the sky. So um, for that night out at the gala or somewhere you're going, you're able to rent that Oscar de la Renta dress and, you know, feel like, you know, a thousand or a million dollars, however you want to feel, you know, and then you return it. But still that aspirant, you, you fulfill that, that kind of personal luxury, aspirational kind of element. That bottom line is always the main thing in fashion because fashion is just an extension. It's an expression of yourself. It's who you'd like to be or who you are. So that aspirational element of fashion is never gonna change. So I just believe the disruptors are gonna come for different aspects of whatever the topical issue is or whatever the gap they see in the market. But that bottom line of, I think, startups in fashion always has to be, there's an element of aspiration in there an element of curating something in there i actually do have a question mm. though i think we've got to touch up on regarding mm. tech mm -hmm. with jendaya because mm -hmm. i was doing my research mm -hmm. um on jendaya and mm -hmm. i saw that you have like an ai mm -hmm. i think assistant or stylist Styling. within yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so tell us a bit more about that so again i think we are working with a company um called lux luck who are actually providing that tech another plug-in into okay. jindeo so as you probably would have been picking up we are it's it's a collaborative effort we're working with you know and we're starting with shopify and we're using all these plugins to really enhance and advance the the offering we're giving to our first early adopters um for the e-commerce store this company called lux luck what they, they what they do is they um allow us to onboard real stylists so we're starting on with, starting off with a team of about three to four stylists but that tech allows them to aggregate all our inventory style items while speaking to customers and also looking to their previous purchases if you know if that um, those other kind of stores have allowed that tech lots luck to have access to their backing but then to also make recommendations based on previous purchases but so far for us we're just starting you know very simply it's going to allow the stylist to aggregate our inventory and you know speak to the customer and you know suggest items and um, just enhance that that kind of online luxury experience as though they're offline you're touching onto something that's really pressing again mm. in terms of e-com problems mm. which is the upsell and also making informed recommendations because obviously you know when you're online shopping you see the little banner at the bottom that says hey if you bought this pair of jeans maybe yeah, you want these yeah. five other mm. pairs yeah. of jeans or whoever Which, bought this yeah. they also yeah. bought that, that yeah. yeah and you yeah. can tell it's not yeah. tailored at mm. all because mm. if i've just bought a pair of jeans mm. i don't want another mm. pair of jeans that looks exactly <laughs> the same yeah. so yeah, you're yeah, really touching smart, into yeah. the idea of um personalization mm. and having that personal touch which is really important to millennials and gen z yeah. mm -hmm. Um, I guess for me, the final question would be looking at that intersection between um, African tech companies and the relationship with investors and so on. Mm. So Jumia is very high profile and I can't call it a failure yet, mm. but it mm. looks like... You know yeah. what? Funny enough, I don't want it to fail because if that fails... It's, it's, it's lights out for all of us. Yeah. yeah. Even That's though, even though, yeah, we, we were uncovering the propaganda and whether it's African or not and whether the numbers were bogus or not. But the tagline is that it's an African e-commerce, like giant, it's a, it's a, it's a unicorn, the first one to come out of Africa. It's lights out for them. It's going to be way. It's already harder for us as Black founders. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly this what is I'm my going problem. For. Yeah, yeah. This exactly. This is my problem. Yeah. Like I, th I feel like Jumia failing ruins it for younger or startups yeah, that ha will. haven't got to that capacity it will. yet. It will. And it's not fair. It's not fair. Because it's not it even will. an African yeah. company. It's this is fair, my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Jay's very passionate about yeah. it. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I share. Because yeah. it's, it's already hard yeah. for us to get already. investment, yeah, yeah, yeah. to get yeah. in front yeah, of yeah. investors. Yeah. And then now, you know, I hate to be um, candid, but mm. a couple of white men have mm. now come in, mm. you know, got 
investors, mm-hmm. they're now a billion dollar company, they're now listed on New York. So yeah. I can't even imagine how it got that far. Far. With all I, I'm, I'm really. But actually, we can imagine. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, and I, I literally read. I, I'm probably misquoting, but I read something. I think it's Victor Asimota. Mm. I can't remember. He's an investor, and he said, "In my eyes, an African startup mm-hmm. is born in Africa." Mm-hmm. By an African, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm, is no, mm-hmm, you know, base in mm-hmm, Africa. Mm-hmm, it doesn't mm-hmm, work like that. Mm-hmm. But because there's this African mm-hmm, tagline mm-hmm. in the whole African yeah. unicorn, African Amazon, it makes it harder for people like you that want to yeah. know come up. Yeah. So if they fail, it's yeah, a big problem. It's a big problem. Yeah. Yes. But on that note, it doesn't look like the sentiment has shifted negatively in terms of investing in Africa. So I read something a couple of days ago. Mm. I think it was in the Financial Times that said in, in a week, mm-hmm. in just a week. $400 million was invested into African fintech startups. Okay. Now, obviously, that's very specific. Yeah, it's fintech. yeah. I was okay, going to say. Cool. Yeah. But these are African startups run and started by Africans. Mm. So what would be interesting to think about is if, regardless of the direction mm. that Jumia goes in, what do you think that the sentiment will be in terms of investing in Africa going forward as we start to um, adopt technologies and different industries you know i think it's only going to grow i think it will be industry agnostic 100 mm-hmm. percent, because in general there will be a growth there will be a growth trend upwards because africa is the new focus i mean we've yeah. we've stressed we've stressed the europe is, is we've already stressed the growth here we've stressed <laughs> the growth in in the americas mm-hmm. we've stressed the, stressed the growth in asia we've stressed the growth in the middle east Africa is just the natural next step across finance, across health, across yeah. e-commerce, across retail. But based on what's currently going on, um, industries like e-commerce will probably struggle because already when we're speaking to angel investors, when we're speaking to VCs, mm. we already get the sentiment. Yeah. We already get the sentiment. So that is more reason why a company like Jumia cannot fail. It, it <laughs> so we already not. get the sentiment. But <laughs> everywhere else, yeah. naturally, there's going to be an upward growth trend in investment. Mm. That's no mm-hmm. doubt. Um, but it will be industry agnostic. They will specifically pick out in some industries will get billions and billions quicker than others. Already, we started to already wet the ground and speak to, you know, important people at like the relevant VCs and whatnot that invest in Africa and invest actually in the passing fashion or e-commerce for Africa. And um, what we've been coming up against in terms of the m- more and more VCs we speak to is that they're not interested in, in e-commerce. They're interested in everything else. They're interested in health. They're interested in fintech. They're interested in travel. So a lot of them, so already we're starting to see that, yeah, that and trust me, like every week a new VC specifically for Africa pops up and then I'll, I'll go on the website and check it out and it's like, oh, they're not, they're not interested in e-commerce. Like, and oh, I'm just like, mm, okay, you know, so that, you know, yeah. so it, it, it's, so that's what, I, there will definitely be more and more opportunities to invest in Africa, mm. but specifically, I think specific industries will definitely feel the uh, bite back of mm. what's currently at play. Yeah. That's really, really interesting actually, because yeah. you'd think it hasn't been done before yeah. successfully. Yeah. Amazon refuses to touch yeah. Africa. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's do it ourselves. But you don't want to invest. And 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 the thing is, that's that's a, a good point you've mentioned as well. It's all of these companies. They when you say they don't want to touch Africa, that's a good thing. They actually do touch Africa. So if you go on a lot of these um uh, websites, they actually do deliver to Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what it is is that they don't market it as a as a primary country. So you really have to dig or make a special okay. request for them to deliver it into into any African country. That comes back to the to the, the statement that they're not interested of course you're not interested you might put it there but the way you um you the way you execute that order the way you treat that order the when way that service mm-hmm. 
you know you're not interested, but that's a good thing. It gives room to for people to create the ASOS of Africa, to create the eBay of Africa, exactly. and to create the Netta Porter and Farfetch of Africa. And one of the things we I've I've come to know by speaking to people in the industry and people on our team who used to be at these companies is that they they've told me point blank that look, you're you're onto something good here because Farfetch don't want to make a Farfetch Africa. They want to acquire someone who's going to do it well. So if that's mm. going to be you, you're onto something. So that's wow. a great thing. Yeah. So that's why for me, I'm like, I want to be that number one. Mm-hmm. So when Netta Porter, when Farfetch are looking to make that acquisition for Africa, we're on their radar. Okay, so that's, I like that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Like there's huge opportunity in Africa in terms of investing into different spaces, but also e-com looks like an untapped market. So Definitely. it's going to be really exciting to see what Jendaya does mm-hmm. to transform the continent. So thank you so much for you're joining welcome. us. You're it's welcome. been such an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. Um, and yeah, keep us posted. Of course. Like, uh, I mean, social media, I'll do all the following. Yeah, go ahead. Like, oh, yeah, yeah please. Yeah, like, <laughs> Plug it. Like, shout out, you know. So it's Jendaya Official, um, J-E-N-D-A-Y-A dot official on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And the content-only website's coming out soon. We're going to launch our e-commerce pilot to select shoppers first yeah. in Nigeria then the same in Kenya and Ghana next year so that's our first validation give jendaya.official a follow do you want to plug your personal or no Um, plug my personal (laughs) yeah so I guess it's just Ayotunde Rufai on um, Instagram and uh, Ayo underscore GT at Twitter thank you so much for coming today we really appreciate um, you joining us in the studio Um, and guys listen out for our next episode where we discuss more in fashion, innovation and tech.